Well, today we wrap up our uh, kind of last half of summer series through Philippians uh, with the final verses of that letter today. Uh, It's been a series titled Partners in Grace uh, with a kind of a head nod to the special relationship that Paul had with this church. He talked of the Philippians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that word partnership, as we have been remembering every week, is the word koinonia or, or fellowship, friendship in the gospel. So what the Philippians and Paul enjoyed was a special experience of community based in the message of Jesus. Uh, And today we're looking at the closing paragraphs of the letter. Paul touches on three things as he wraps up this letter. Uh, A secret that he has learned, a a little bit about giving, and then the kingdom revolution. Uh, So let's listen to the text, but first let's pray, shall we? Uh, God, we know that you're Uh, word is is like no other word. We know that your words in the Bible are powerful by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. We know the Bible to be your word. So we pray, God, that you now would open our eyes and our hearts and minds by your spirit to receive all that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the conclusion of the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's found on page 953. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jennifer. So Paul talks about this, uh, this secret that he has learned. You saw that in the, in the text we just read. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Sounds like a best, uh, uh, a self-help bestseller, doesn't it? The secret. Come learn the secret. <laughs> and if you think about Paul's life, kind of uh, the place from which he was writing, it, it's even more powerful because he wrote these uh, lines from a Roman prison after several very daunting years of false accusations, threats upon his life, unjust imprisonment. I mean, you can read all about that in the book of Acts. And uh, it, it all led to the point where Paul had to appeal to Caesar uh, to save his own life, right? These, these, these people were finally catching up with him. The problem was that at that time, the Caesar was Nero, one of the worst Roman emperors of all time. So Paul's situation was not good at all. And yet he could say, I've learned this secret of being content in any and every situation. I mean, think of all the situations he encountered, the life-threatening situations, uh, the, 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 the long days, the violence he endured, uh, the mundane rhythm of just making life happen on the road it can, can be exhausting. And yet Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Think about that for a second. Think about the combination of those words and what they mean. Content in any situation. I take that to refer to any terribly challenging situation. And there are situations we'd all rather avoid but can't. The death of people we love. Accidents outside our control. The actions of others that impact us in profoundly hurtful ways over which we have no control. Paul learned how to be content in those very challenging times, in any situation. And he learned how to be content in every situation. I take that to refer to the mundane routine stuff of life, right? The daily grind, which we all know. I mean, sometimes that's energizing. Sometimes that's exhausting. Sometimes that can lead you to the place of wondering if you can still keep putting one foot in front of the other, right? Life maintenance chores, a friend of mine calls them. <laughs> Having learned the secret of being content in any and every situation led Paul to conclude this. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He learned something in, in this life that enabled him to be content despite his experience and circumstance. To maintain some deep sense of inner stability through the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's something. What, what is that secret, really? I mean, it can't just be knowledge about what Jesus has done for us, right? Because you and I both know boatloads of people who know about Christianity but seemingly haven't learned this secret from all outward appearances at least, right? Uh, this, this is not a secret that prevents negative feelings and experiences. It's a secret that enables you to maintain peace and joy in the midst of negative feelings and experiences. 
It's the secret Paul described in the passage last week. It's living in God's peace. Remember, the, the apostle unpacked action steps for us, things that we can do to go on living in God's peace. We can choose joy. We can give others the same kind of grace that Jesus has given us. We can resist anxiety by praying and presenting our requests to God. We can direct our thoughts, willfully choose to think about the things of God. We can observe Christians a little bit ahead of us and seek to imitate them in their way of living and and, and their way of life. We can live in God's peace now. Not just know about it, not just think about it as a distant idea, but we can live in that peace now. We can experience that peace now. That's the secret. See, Paul had learned it and he shared it with the Philippians and with us, gladly. The secret of being content in any and every situation. And after that little piece of this, these kind of concluding remarks of the letter, Paul turns his attention toward financial giving because the Philippians had given financial assistance to Paul. They supported him as a missionary. And they were currently supporting him as he was under house arrest in Rome. And in these next verses, it seems Paul wanted to do a couple things. I think, I think he wanted to thank them for their gifts And he wanted to help them grow spiritually in their understanding of giving. And it's a delicate line. I mean, Paul Paul knew that was a delicate line, like every pastor knows that's a delicate line. Because when you talk about money, some people will think you're doing it so that they will give their money to you. But Paul didn't want this church he loved to miss the importance of this. So look what he did. He rewound to the very beginning of their relationship. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Isn't that amazing? Paul had one supporting church in that whole region, and this was the only one. And then then Paul lists all the many other ways that the Philippians had supported him. And, and then Paul writes this. Now, what I, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Not that I desire your gifts. Here he's addressing that reality that when you talk about money, some will think it's self-serving. Basically, Paul's saying, look, I'm not saying this because I want to move money from your pocket to mine. What I'm saying is that as followers of Jesus, what we do with our money matters a lot. And I want your money to work for you spiritually, not against you. That's what he means when he says, what I desire is that more be credited to your account, your your spiritual account, that is. Now, don't don't hear something Paul's not saying. He's not suggesting some system of indulgences where we give money and somehow get God's grace. This isn't a spiritual vending machine. Uh, Nor is it a contest, like if we give more than the other person, somehow we're a notch up or, or whatever, uh, th- think two accounts, right? There's, there's the relationship with God, which is based entirely, uh, you know, we're saved by God's grace through faith, not by works so that nobody can boast, right? That's, we're justified by God's grace and through faith in Jesus. That's one account which has not only been uh, rectified, brought from a deep negative balance back to zero, but in Christ, we've, the perfect righteousness of Christ has been poured into our account, so that, that account is loaded with spiritual riches. But Paul's not talking about that account. He's talking about the stewardship account. The account that kind of tracks what we're doing with the resources entrusted to us. Think parable of the talents if you're more familiar with the New Testament. That was a story Jesus told about the way God gives resources to all of us 
and help different people respond to that in different ways. You know, one guy just kind of buried it in the ground, just gave back what he got, and that the master didn't really like that. Others took those resources and kind of leveraged them for some good kingdom purpose and saw a return. And if you read the text closely, you'll see it's always a multiplicative return. It's not just based on addition, right? So that's, that's the thing. Um, and, and that's what Paul's saying. There's a tremendous opportunity before us, especially in wealthy Western culture, right? The thing that Jesus said is so, so important for us. Here's what he said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I've found that when Whenever I speak on this, I, mean, I know if you're a fifth regular, we've talked about this a lot, right? So we, we kind of, I hope, know about this. But whenever I bring this up in other, in other situations, it is amazing how our culture misreads what Jesus actually said. Look at what he said. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He didn't say, your treasure will follow your heart. Or he didn't say, you'll give to things that kind of pull on your heartstrings. As true as that might be. What he said is your heart will follow your treasure. So where you choose to invest your, the resources at your command, not just money now, but time, I mean everything, right? Where you choose to invest those resources is where your heart will go. Let's not miss that because that is a huge, big deal. Not only is there responsibility there, there's tremendous opportunity there. It's kind of like a spiritual discipline, right? Um, You feel disconnected from the Lord. You feel kind of flat, stuck in a rut. Start giving. Start giving to the cause of Christ in some way. Your heart will follow your treasure, said Jesus. It's an opportunity. So the secret, the matter of giving, says Paul. And then the kingdom revolution. Now you might be thinking, what's this about? Because there wasn't really anything sounding too revolutionary in just Paul's closing remarks. Well, look at the last three verses. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, the the bold, the emphasis and underlining there is, is mine. I added that to highlight the revolutionary part. Now, let me tell you why that's so revolutionary. You've got to kind of get your mindset into what the Philippians were experiencing, what was going on in Paul's day. If Rome was the Washington, D.C. of the Roman Empire, Philippi was their Philadelphia, a city loaded with national heritage and and patriotism. It, It was populated by retired military folks, veterans, officers, generals. To be a Roman citizen in Philippi was of tremendous value very highly valued. Philippi was second only to Rome itself in terms of Roman patriotism. And of course, the Caesar was at the top of the org chart. 
in that day. And as I mentioned earlier, the Caesar at that time was uh, Nero Claudius Caesar, one of the most horrifically horrible Caesars of all time. He was violent, immoral, extravagant in his lifestyle. He had his own mother killed. Widely believed that he had Rome burned to the ground so he could build a better, stronger city. And in fact, in uh, 64 AD, there was a huge fire in Rome that only left 30% of the city standing when the flames finally died out. And the Roman citizens of the city caught wind that their Caesar might have ordered and started this great fire. And Nero grew so concerned about an uprising against him, he pinned the blame for the fire on the Christians of the city. Look at this from Roman historian Tacitus. And so to get rid of this rumor, Nero set up as the culprits and punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty those who are commonly called Christians. Christus, this is referring to Jesus now, Christus, from whom their name is derived, was executed at the, at the hands of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Accordingly, in Rome, arrest was first made of those who confessed to being Christians, and then on their evidence, presumably after being tortured, right, an immense multitude was convicted. Besides being put uh, to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified, others set on fire to illuminate the night when daylight failed. It was that bad. And remember, this is the Caesar to whom Paul appealed. It sounds like kind of the equivalent of appealing to the Taliban, doesn't it? And when the Philippians received Paul's letter, they were very worried for their own safety. I mean, this guy was certifiably insane, that the Caesar horribly evil, and on a campaign to kill Christians. What would become of them? Were they next? And Paul addressed their fears in chapter 1 and tried to encourage them, but, but here at the end he drops a bombshell, just out of nowhere. I, like if, if you were playing cards, this would be like holding the most powerful trump card until the very last hand, and, and you're the last one to play. And you just go... Bam! Just seals, the, puts an exclamation point on the victory. Or, to think spy movie analogy, that's like my language, right? This is the moment Jason Bourne is on that rooftop surveilling CIA headquarters with that monocular. CIA has been trying to hunt him down and kill him as a rogue agent, and Pamela Landy's in there, and He's talking with her, and at the end of their conversation, Bourne says, Pam, get some rest. You look tired. Like, whoa! He can see me in my office. It's one of those like, whoa! Cue the driving spy movie music, right? Well, this, what Paul wrote here, is that. It's exactly that. All God's people send you their greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household. What? We've got people on the inside? Some of Nero's household have come to faith in Jesus? Are you kidding me? Now, back then, the household was much larger than the nuclear family. I mean, it, it included uh, friends and, and servants. So, so, you know, Nero had a big household. But nonetheless, the point was clear. 
the message of the amazing grace of God that reconciles human beings to God by paying their debt at the price of the death of his own son, Jesus. That Jesus became one of us and stood in our place, not just so that we might be forgiven of all we've done wrong, but that we might be both cleansed and purchased in such a way that God declares us free of wrongdoing forever, just as if it never happened, fully reconciled to God, restored to an unhindered relationship with God, adopted into God's family, able to approach God's throne of grace with confidence, and able to engage all of life and all other people from the place of deep and permanent peace with God. That message, the message of Jesus, had worked its way in to Nero's household. So the subtext that Paul is writing but didn't really write is this. Don't let this guy scare you. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in his house, in Nero's house, the citadel of evil. He's right there. God's kingdom is not passive and contained, sequestered behind stained glass windows, hunkered down and hiding from evil, avoiding the world the best it can. No, no. The kingdom of God is active and alive, assertively pursuing every human being everywhere. God is on a mission to reclaim that which was lost at the fall, and he will not fail. See, when you're aligned with Jesus, you're on the side of the kingdom revolution that cannot be stopped by anyone anywhere. Look, Jesus said it. On this rock, meaning the confession that Jesus was really the Christ, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The kingdom of God is not reeling on its heels. It's on the offensive. It's not God's kingdom that's under siege. It's the kingdom of darkness that's under siege. The light has dawned. The light is piercing the darkness right now. The light is shining. And in Paul's day, nowhere was this more evident than in the reality that the gospel had taken root in Nero's household. Who'd have thought? And all God's people send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I had the thought just this morning that we could probably do a whole sermon just on the word especially. What was it that the Christians in Nero's household especially wanted the Philippians to know. We're pouring his wine. We're serving his meals. We're praying for you. We're here. We're here. I think if the Apostle Paul had had the Apostle John's line, he would have used it. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If you are in Christ, you are on the side of a kingdom revolution that cannot be stopped. That, that revolution has already begun. And it will result in all things being made new, including you and me.
amazing. This is not a distant religious thought. This is a present reality right now, right here, right in you and me if we are in Jesus. Praise God indeed. <laughs> in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you that our faith isn't some distant kind of thing, even if it feels like that sometimes. Thank you that you're alive right now, Lord Jesus, that you are concerned about us and this world. You are concerned about people not just knowing about you, but knowing you and being transformed to value all the things that you value. To being transformed to be like you. So God, help us in that. Show us our part in that. Help us not resist your work in us and help, and help us to see how you would like us to join you in what you're already doing in the world. Thank you, God, that you've given us a Psalm 46 kind of faith that can remain steady, secure, at peace even, even though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. We know the secret because you've shown us. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I'll pour out your spirit on us now. We pray in your name. Amen.